ESPN 97.5 and 92.5 proudly present The Killer Bees. Definitely a fan of The Killer Bees. Don't sweat the technique. Live from the Veritex Community Bank Studios, here comes the fastest three hours in Houston sports radio. Here's Joe Blank and Jeremy Branham. Oh, hell yeah. You about to get all stung up. Ooh, what up, H-Town? Hey, how we doing? He's Blank. I'm Branham. It's Joe George behind the glass, the assistant to the regional manager, our Queen B. It's always good to see Joe. You know, Joe's going to put in a full week this year, this week for the first time all year. All year? All year. This yeah, will be the for, first so the time all year that Joe puts in a full week. I'm proud of him. Wow. I'm proud of him. Now, it helped out the two of my days that I'm working this week are remote, so I don't have to see him every day. I think you're right That's about helpful. that. I'm not wrong. I had to think about that for a second. Usually sure. not. I just went for it, took a chance. I really didn't. I think, every I think week you in January, <laughs> you took at least one day no, off. No, I think the second week in January, I was here for the whole time. I'm not sure now. You got me second-guessing my own life. <laughs> wow. Um, this is the time of year once the Texans are eliminated. Not, I mean, I always dive into basketball around November. Um, it's kind of my job, and certainly love love watching basketball. Uh, I probably watch more college basketball than I do NBA basketball, but I watch more Houston Rockets basketball than I do um, college basketball. Now I watch more Houston Cougar basketball than anything else. Um, watching that Rockets game yesterday, they got bullied. They got. Punked. They should be embarrassed with the way that they played yesterday. It kind of annoys me. Like, it's a home game. Look, I know the Pelicans are all right, but that's not a team that should come into your place and out-rebound you by 20. That's not a team where Alpi Shingun should be unplayable for the final few moments of the, of the first half because he can't defend the post. Valanchunas was destroying him uh, in that game yesterday. He went for 25-14. and 14. The Rockets were committed for, to allow Alpi Shingun to defend him, and he could not defend him to the point where he got benched late first half didn't play the final few moments the pelicans are you know 27 and 21 they're above average they're fine like they're probably going to be in the hunt for the playoffs certainly the rockets aspire to be a team that's in the hunt for the playoffs and they got back into that game a little bit they, they brought it to i think about four points and the pelicans went nuts in the early parts of the fourth quarter made it a 20 point game but alpi shingun could not defend his shadow in the post yesterday they got out rebounded by 20 at home to a team that they feel like they're in the same company with. And all I hear, and I'm like, hey, Jalen Green had a good game. That's fine. Mm-hmm. But all I hear is, well, Jalen Green's back. Cam Whitmore, yay. Uh, we still love Alpie. You should be embarrassed with how the Rockets played yesterday. Well, and you're just talking about Alpie's defense. But let's just talk about what New Orleans did offensively, too, because they bullied the hell out of the Rockets and said, you know what? We, like, we, we know what you like to do. You like to run the offense through Alpie. You like to move him around inside the lane. And we are going to be as physical as we can with him and we are going to throw a body at him. Valanchunas is going to be extremely handsy and physical with him, and we're going to dare you and the officials to stop us. The officials were letting him play. Alpi got extremely gun-shy with a lot of his shots. He was leaving everything short. He he wasn't finishing. And, and when, when they looked at it and said, well, it's working, and we're not getting whistles, we're going to keep doing this, the Rockets didn't have a plan beyond offense. And you're right, on defense, this is why I keep saying they need another big. They need another big, and they need a physical big. Because of the fact that Jabari is a stretch four, Alpi is still learning defensively, but in no way in anybody's mind do they think that he's going to be an aggressively strong low-post defender. 
And they really don't have anybody else to go to except for Longdale at Lawndale, and there's no way you want to do that. That shows you how much they've quit on him, by the way, because mm-hmm. Valanciunas was abusing Alpi Shingun, again, to the point where he got benched in the final few moments of the first half, and it wasn't foul trouble. In fact, I wish he picked up a little bit more fouls because Valanciunas was just bullying him in the paint. Hey, play, play a little physical. Maybe draw a foul. Make him make, maybe make him earn it from the free throw line. Instead, he's just sitting there like, I, I wouldn't even call him a roadblock. I wouldn't even call him a road hump. Like, it was very passive defense, and it bothered me. And it also bothered me a little bit. They were they were not sending a double team. Like, he's getting abused every single possession in that first half, and they were just allowing him to get abused every single – maybe they were sending a message. Here, he's going to whoop you, and this is the message that we're sending to you that you need to be a little bit stronger on the post. They even did it at the halftime interview. I was watching the game, of course, on the shin, and our old colleague, uh, Vanessa Richardson, I don't know which assistant coach he, he was, she was talking to, but, yeah, uh, yeah, Alpie needs to be more physical, and he will be. He wasn't. And look, Alpi hasn't had this issue all year. And I know it sounds that I'm being very critical uh, of Alpi. This isn't only an Alpi thing, although Valanciunas did bully him. How do you get out-rebounded by 20 at home? That's that's embarrassing. Well, not, not not just at home, anywhere. Uh, unless that they have this But especially mass- at home. Yeah, but I mean, regardless, you should there should not be a 20-rebound differential unless you're playing a team that has like two big fists, like Minnesota. If you're playing Minnesota with Gobert and Cat there's a chance that you could get hammered on the boards. But other than that, you should not be getting out-rebounded by 20, regardless. And you're right, at home it's even more accentuated. But that just shows you, like, overall defensively, too, from where they started and everybody was talking, rightfully so, about the turnaround on defense and they were top five in the NBA, they fell off a cliff. Mm -hmm. And they haven't made adjustments either. It's just like, well, some nights these things are going to happen. No, they're not supposed to. That was the plan you could tell from New Orleans, too. We're going to go inside. We're going to feast on Alpi. We're going to force them to send a double team, and, and it never came. Uh, you're right, Jabari. Jabari had a poor game, and I, I can live with a Jabari doesn't score game. Like, it shouldn't happen, but I can live with a Jabari doesn't score game. The fact that he played 22 minutes and had one rebound, mm-hmm. that's unacceptable, man. And I know that Jabari's been a lot better as of late, and this is something that bothers me whenever, like, with viewers to the NBA is that we become so individual, like centric where we look to see, well, you know, like I bet you a lot of people like their top story today with the Rockets, Jalen green's back. And like, Hey, that's a subtopic. Absolutely. Jalen green's playing really well. had 31 points yesterday, knocked down a few threes. He's playing some good basketball, but that's not the story from that game yesterday. It absolutely isn't. And that's what the NBA has become where you look at it. Individual centric. Well, Jalen played well. We're going to have a good conversation about the Rockets today. No, dude, you got crushed at home against a team that you think is a contemporary in the NBA. They out rebounded you by 20. The, Alpi could not defend a, a dude in the paint. Jabari Smith has one stinking rebound in 22 minutes. That's like I'll live with a zero point game from Jabari Smith. He's not one of your top two offensive players. He's more of a catch and shoot guy. Like maybe they'll get to in the post, turn and fire things like that. You cannot have one rebound in 22 minutes from your power forward. No, you can't. And, and you know, and then on the telecast they were talking about how you know Jeff Green is just you know taking him under his wing and really you know his goal is to. See him as an all-star someday and he can be that well in order to be that he is going to have to improve a hell of a lot in terms of and we talk about this prior a lot of big men get so enamored with the fact that it's such a wide open offensive league that they like the face up catch and shoot stretch idea of being able to shoot threes but because they do that they lose where they can be most effective and that is with a bigger body with a long reach with a good touch you should be able to take a smaller guy down on the low post and get shots to your point 
The fact is you can't forget about playing defense. This was Alpi a, a year ago. You want to get the offensive touches. You want to be on this team and keep stretches of the game. You have to be held accountable to defend. And this is where the same way Udoka has done this with guys that fall short in other areas has got to kind of put the hammer down because this is a different team that should have a different mentality and way of thinking in the last two years. This shouldn't be, hey, Jalen got his, and we're coming. You know, Our guys are developing. You had a chance to win that game last night. You got blitzed with, what, a 15-0 run to start the fourth quarter. And just in a snap of fingers, it was over. Yeah. like, And this hasn't been a trend this year, which has been, like, why the Rockets have been fun to watch. Like, this this like kind of comes out of left field. Like, But you just shouldn't have a performance like this. Uh, 6927, this is what happens when you have too many 20 to 22-year-olds getting the majority of the minutes. Next year, this team needs more vets. And I'm glad you said that because... It kind of goes into the conversation we were having yesterday, Blankers, about the uh, the trade deadline and trading for Garden. You're absolutely right. Like yesterday was a huge example of why you need a backup center because, like, if you had, let's just say, Clint Capella, like, just to insert a name, not to say that we desire Clint Capella, you probably play him 20, 25 minutes in that game yesterday because Shingun got benched. But instead of going to the bench for your backup center, Jock Landell, who played zero minutes yesterday, you're bringing in Jeff Green, who, who like, he'll try hard. He's a veteran. But he's not going to stop a dude that's huge, that's a massive, like, real center and can actually score from the post. So, yeah, it did show their desperate need for center. But also the rotation to me. And this is like, it goes into the the Rockets are interested in a guard. How are they interested in a guard? Look at the guys who played more than 15 minutes yesterday. And this is kind of to the Texas point as well. Jabari Smith is young. Dylan Brooks is a veteran. Alpi Shingun is young. Fred Van Vliet is a veteran. Jalen Green is young. Jeff Green is a veteran. Amin Thompson young. Cam Whitmore young. And then Aaron Holland days a veteran so you have five guys that that qualifies 20 to 22 but you have four guys that are veterans so like i kind of disagree with the text secondly why is aaron holiday playing 17 minutes that's the first part i mean we said this and i we said this to start the season at a certain point right before the trade deadline you need to stop playing reggie bullock and aaron holiday and even jeff green and the veteran guys that you're just trying to showcase so you can and jay sean tate at a certain point, the line's got to stop. I get it. The deadline's the eighth. I, I'll give you the leeway to get to that point. But at that point, I need to see no more of any of those guys unless it's an emergency because it's too essential to the development of this organization and this team to, to look so small picture that you want to keep playing these guys over the guys that are going to be your future. It's asinine. It shouldn't happen. And then I'm hearing these reports about how Adoka is going to, to Tillman and basically saying phase two starts now. We need to trade for veterans. We need to trade away some of the youth and really kind of speed this thing forward even long. You got to be careful if you, if that's the way that they're going to accept or, or at least consider operating because of the fact that, yeah, sometimes it works and you get a player or two that can, ex, you know, kind of accelerate it. And on the flip side, you could give away some pretty good talent, get a guy that isn't what you thought he was going to be, and screw you over for the next five to seven instead of keep you going in the right direction. And I hate that mentality. You you and I have never really had conversations about like what our ideal rotations are because we haven't had to because the Rockets have been lousy and there's been zero it, like purpose of talking about rotations. Uh, I'm kind of a nine-man rotation guy. You have your five starters. And I know that this is matchup-based as well. I'm just going default, like your standard opponent. I understand that you're going to tinker and you know adjust based on who your opponent is, but I'm kind of a nine-man rotation guy. I like my starting five. I like a backup point guard, which should be a Min Thompson. I don't want a third-string point guard ever playing unless there's an injury, foul trouble, or like a back-to-back. Like there's Sometimes you just have to do it. I like the idea of a backup, like a one backup wing that can play either shooting guard, 
small forward, and then maybe another guy who's a, who's a shooting guard, small forward type that backs up that guy. So you have two guys that you're deep there, but one's the priority. And then I like a backup big. Like that's that's really all I need. And if that if that shooting guard, small forward can also play the four, like a like. Tari Easton can, then that's it for me. So when I look at the current Rocket roster, you have your, like Fred Van Vliet, I'm not going to say that he shouldn't start over a Min Thompson, that would be silly. You got Fred Van Vliet, you got Jalen Green, you got Dylan Brooks, you got your Jabari Smith, you got Alpi Shingun. There's your starting rotation. I, personally, Amin Thompson's getting all my backup point guard minutes. Aaron Holiday's not playing 17 minutes under any circumstance. Sorry. My backup 2-3 right now, it's Cam Whitmore. Yeah, no doubt. Cam Whitmore should be the first guard off the bench all the time. And if, if Aaron Holiday's playing 17 minutes, that should be divided between Amin Thompson and Cam Whitmore. Amin Thompson should be playing 20-25. Cam Whitmore should be playing 20-25. Um, and then after that, it's Tari Easton. Tari Easton's my, my, third, my second guard. He's more of a forward, but he can play on the perimeter, but he can also play down low, so he's going to back up the three, he's going to back up the four, and quite honestly, Rockets right now don't have a backup five. That's why Jeff right. Green's pressed into action. But other than that, these other guys shouldn't be playing. No, they shouldn't be, and, and my philosophy has always been regular season's different than playoffs, and that's when you tighten up your rotation, but based on matchups and situationally and when injuries happen, the furthest, the farthest that I can go is 10, and I can go 10 deep situationally, mm-hmm. but what I'd re- ideally for me, it's eight. But because you have so many young players, yeah, I like that. But but also because you have so many young players, you you are trying to develop. That I think that it's too soon to say that there's a legit eight guys that that's it, cut and dry, and you don't do that. Because like you said, you could face a guy where you maybe I could throw up one of my backup bigs or one of my extra big bodies to get some fouls last night, depending on who you play. Yeah, and kind of clear up the lane a little bit. But I'm with you in terms of that range. And then, and then, like I said, I don't need to see any more veterans, and I need the, the the franchise to really realize, hey, look, this team is playing really well. But you either have to be committed to trying to win these games or develop these kids. But in the process, what you're doing is giving them no chance to do either because the kids are losing minutes to the veterans. They're not winning games that are winnable games that they could be winning. And now you're starting to see more division than the continuity we saw early in the year when they were playing defense and everybody was on the same page. And it was they were, the, the young guys are getting their you know their coaching and everybody's developing. Now it seems like we're starting to see that there's some lines being drawn in the sand. And I'm not, I'm not going to say that I'm a fan of any of it right now because in those situations last night, there's no way you give up a 15-0 run in the fourth quarter. You just don't to do it in the fourth the quarter. quarter. In the fourth quarter, <laughs> when it was a absolute, game, the start of crunch time in a game that was winnable, and you get blitzed on a 15-0 run, and you go, "What the hell?" Like. That's where you need an extra shooter. That's where you need guys that you can call on. See, I disagree with that part. Like, that to me is the next elevation in Jalen Green's game. Like, where Jalen Green's, like, starting to come along now a little bit, which six games, too small of a sample. Five games, too small of a sample. I still need to see more. I'm a huge Jalen Green defender. But for him, like, his next step, like, if he can continue, he's not going to average 30 a game. But if he becomes, like, a perennial, like, consistent 20-point-a-game scorer, he has to be able to, uh, like, to understand his team's in a drought, and he has to go get a bucket. Go, yeah, because right. yesterday in the fourth, like he had a good game yesterday. Yesterday, whenever they were scoreless and going through that drought, go look to see if Jalen Green was demanding the ball and going to get a bucket. He wasn't. He needs to do that. And everybody was settling for jump shots. That's when you attack the rim and realize the easiest way to get off the schneid is go get get yep. fouled and go to the line or get a bucket so that you can stop the momentum and you guys can calm down and do what you need to do. And that's why I said if you, in the regular season you can go as deep as 10 because sometimes you just need a guy off the bench that can go get you a bucket, whether he can make a shot 
or or he can create a shot. You've got to find a way to stop that in the fourth in the fourth quarter. I know runs happen in the NBA. In the fourth quarter, to get blitzed fifteen zero to start a quarter mm-hmm. and know the game's over is unacceptable. Now that the Rockets are a real NBA team again, they weren't under Silas. They they've earned our criticism. We're going to be critical of the Rockets when they deserve it, and they deserve it yesterday. Minus twenty in the rebounding category at home. At home, seven one three seven eight zero ESPN. Blinkers touched on the uh, the trade deadline, which is a week away, a week from today, uh, February eighth. The trade deadline is upon us. I have one big fear concern when it comes to the Houston Rockets at the trade deadline. Uh, busy show today. It is a Thursday, so Bad Take Boulevard is upon us. Will of Bits makes its triumphant return as well. Um, Joe has a show most most weekdays after us. I have an observation about Uh-oh. Joe's shows we're going to get to as well. I something that, I've, something that I've noticed. Uh, 713-780-3776. HRMP listener line. We're on the Twitch. Twitch.tv slash ESPN 97.5. That's where all of the uh, the guys without jobs are. And, and ladies, we shouldn't discriminate. Uh, ESPN in Houston on YouTube is where all the professionals, the young professionals, uh, are. He's at Pac-Man Joel on Twitter. Joe's at Joe George Radio. I'm at Jeremy Branham. We are the Killer Bees on ESPN 97.5 and ESPN 92.5. All teams covered. No stalking points necessary. You're back with the Killer Bees on 97.5 and 92.5. Live from the Veritex Community Bank Studios. He's blank. I'm Branham. Uh, one, two, four, four. What are y'all's thoughts on the fact that Jabari, Jeff Green, and Holiday each had uh, 15 minutes, zero points? I don't think you can find many nights in the NBA where three players on the same team play at least 15 minutes uh, without scoring a point. I care more about the rebounding than I do about the scoring. Somewhere Joe George should look up Tony Snell. Former Bull. He needs a job, by the way. Bu- yeah, I saw that. That's yeah, the NBA that's a should do, serious like, deal. They should. The, like I've seen a lot of people. Well, hey, Rockets or hey, insert team in the NBA. Do the right. No, the NBA should do the right thing. Yeah, NBA sure. should just give them the extra year. If yeah. you don't know what is he has like autistic children yep. and he's like you know he very much needs the NBA uh, pension. I guess it's your insurance for life, and he needs another year to qualify for the full insurance. All he needs to be is signed by Friday. Yeah. to get his ten year of tenth year of service and then qualify for all of it. And he is literally playing on the G League team for the Celtics, trying to find someone that will at least allow him to do that. You're right. This shouldn't be pressure on team. This should be pressure on league to say, we got to do the right thing. As much as we see leagues and the CTEs and all the different things where the league is supposed to be and, and you know should step up and, and whether they do or not is a major deal. That's one that seems to be a pretty simple thing to do to take care of him. Yeah. But Tony Snell once played 28 minutes. And had zeros across the board. Look, sometimes you, you you can be a big help to your team without scoring a point. That's like, I don't care too much about, like, obviously you need more points than the other team, and you expect your, your scores to score. But if Jeff Green has a scoreless night, I don't care a whole lot. Same thing with Amin Thompson. Like, I don't need Amin Thompson to be a scorer, especially right now. Like, go get a couple of rebounds. Go play really good defense. Go distribute the basketball. And then Aaron Holiday shouldn't be playing 17 no. minutes in the NBA. Um, I, I'm way more concerned about that rebounding effort yesterday than anything else. Set two seven and the defensive effort, especially in the paint. Two seven six nine. I watch most Rockets games. I've never seen Alpi defend. He always gets beat. Uh, he's 
a score. We need rim protection and a shooter. Certainly need rim protection. His yeah. defense has gotten better. To, and you're not going to play a big, burly center most nights in the NBA anymore right. that has some offensive skill. That's an offensive mismatch. That's a mismatch for Alpi Shingoon. And the Pelicans really didn't exploit it the first few times that they played. They exploited it last night. Well, and the thing is, too, is the majority of the defense that is played this, you know, in this day of NBA basketball, it's more with rotations and help and and guys knowing, you know, where they should be on the floor. You you very rarely see and look, the the one that I'll go to that's the best example of this is Embiid played the Joker uh, a few weeks ago in a game that everybody wanted to see. Neither guy guarded the other guy for the entire game because it's a different way of playing, but New Orleans, New Orleans decided to play bully ball last night mm-hmm. and they just decided, "Hey, guess what?" Until you show us we can, you can stop this. We've seen how you guys have played in the past, and we, it, they watch tape and film. We are going to play as physical as we can on both ends of the floor, and we're also going to make Alpi try and play defense on a guy that's bigger and stronger. And he couldn't do it. No, he, he couldn't. And they were committed to the one-on-one, and I don't think it was a great idea. Uh, trade deadline's a week away. Blankers, you touched on this a little bit. The, the fear, the concern that I have is that Ime Adoka is so desperate, maybe for more veterans, so desperate to be a better team in 2023-24 that he's going to force the hand of the suits upstairs to trade and mortgage a bit of your future for the right now. And I understand that they're a team that's full of youth in all of this, but one of my biggest fear, and like I think Jalen Green's maybe part of this conversation, even like a Cam Whitmore, is that if you trade one of those players, you can get a player that's better than that guy right now. But the potential's not nearly as good. The Rockets are nowhere near an organization and a team that should be operating in win-now mode. You shouldn't be trading potential for a current slightly better option that doesn't have potential. He's 27, 28. He's already at his ceiling. The Rockets still need the young guys that they can groom, that they can develop, and that's my fear is that Ime is going to force the hand of the Rockets to slightly sell their, to mortgage their future for the right now. And it'd be a huge mistake. And you look at, there's two examples here. And the first thing that I'll say for Rockets fans is, and no offense to those of you that are massive, Rafael Stone is an unbelievably good talent evaluating GM right now in terms of seeing the growth potential. Unless there's a hardened deal to be made out there where you see a guy that is blossoming on another team but being held back and you think that guy could be a superstar, then then point him out to where he is in the league right now. Because right now, for the guys that they're talking about, Mikael Bridges, to me, is not a guy that's going to be another James Harden or a superstar, go-to, max player type guy. And he's not better, in my in, in my opinion, than the potential to be at least as good or better on the roster right now with a lot of the guys you're trying to move. So I think that's a huge problem. And then you look at OKC. OKC heard all those rumblings. They could trade for veterans. They could do what they need to do. But they steadfast with Sam Presti, Loaded up on all the young talent. They still have a boatload of draft picks. Rockets have some good draft picks coming up, or at least they have assets to work with. But they did not get tempted. They did not bite on being tempted to go try and take a chance on a guy that could end up being a go-to superstar guy. They stood with Chet. They stood with all these young guys they've drafted. And they all came together, and they're playing some of the best basketball in the NBA. So you can't let your head coach, just because you committed to him long-term now, come in and say, yeah, you're doing a hell of a job grooming the young talent, but you can't come in and tell us when we need to you kind of throw the plan out the window and reevaluate how we're going to put this roster together because it'd be a huge mistake, in my opinion. I don't think that they have the authority. <laughs> like, I think that Ime has the authority, and I don't think that... I don't believe that 
Ime is answering to Stone. I feel more that mm-hmm. Stone is answering to Ime. Now, Stone needs to push back if this stuff is true. Now, I did hear something on the way in. I can't remember which podcast it was. But they were saying that nothing's imminent with the Rockets. So maybe a lot of this is speculation. Maybe a lot of this is innuendo and it's rumor. And we'll have the true story in in a week mm-hmm. when the trade deadline rolls around on uh, on February 8th. But the Rockets aren't winning now. Like, in the, the idea of we, we need to be in the play-in. Like, that's a great goal. That's a great mentality to have, but you shouldn't be mortgaging, even if it's a 10% of the future, to try to get the 10th spot in the Western Conference. Now, I think it is important to get that spot, but I'm not trading a young player for a veteran player to go from being 11th in the West to 10th in the West. This should be a slow build for the Houston Rockets because of the young players that they have, and that's that's the concern I have, that Ime Adoka wants to be win now when this organization, this roster is not yet win now. See, and that's the thing, too. You have to temper expectations and understand if Ime's whole idea is we've got to be in the play-in game or better in order to be considered better than we were a year ago, you're at 22 wins right now. You won 22 games all of last season. So you are already increasingly better than you were last season. And you're getting all the credit for it. But you can't come in and get so greedy that you want to put the pedal down so quickly that you run over some of the young talent that might be keys to you taking it to the next level in the next two to three years. It might not happen this year, but let's remember now, because of your pick and the status of your pick, you don't have it unless you're really, really bad, and, and the chances of that happening now are not really good. So you have to just keep pressing forward. Develop the young talent. Next year could be the year where maybe you take another step up. But right now, and especially, and I alluded to this a little bit, when you look at the names that are out there that are being dangled as you know trade bait that you might want, Jimmy Butler doesn't fit this team because as a superstar, he's well beyond the rest of your roster, and he doesn't have the help that he probably wants. I haven't seen that. No, not to the not. Well, no, in Houston, he's out there. He's they're, yeah. they're shopping him potentially. There are teams that want him. I don't think the Rockets should want a Jimmy Butler. I don't think the Rockets should want a Bridges. I don't think the Rockets, the guys that are being dangled out there are not guys that are difference makers to this current roster and this team, especially if mm-hmm. the Udoka's looking at it for this season. Yeah, like Butler might be, an, like Butler's an upgrade over Cam Whitmore. You shouldn't yeah. trade Cam Whitmore for, no. for Jimmy Butler. That, that would be silly. And plus, Jimmy Butler's not from Houston. He let Joe George know that once, that he's not from Houston. He's not from Houston. He's from Tomball. Did he say the it's last different. time he didn't want to come back here and play? Uh, I don't know if he said that. I think he still comes here and he works out here in the off season and he, he comes back. The only thing that I've heard is that he said that he's not from Houston; he's from Tomball. I've never heard that he doesn't want to be a Rocket. Okay, Cause, but cause I could I be wrong. The last time they were pursuing to trade for him, I thought that there was rumblings that he really didn't want to come back hmm. to play here. Maybe he's but got some right baggage now, here. I mean, but right now, when you look at it, uh, especially playing in that with that Heat team, when you don't have a Bam, when you don't have the veterans that he's used to playing with, and he is, a, you know, a tough ass with his teammates. In terms of wherever, you know, as we've heard from stories from Minnesota to, to Miami, I, I just don't think he's the right fit. 713-780-ESPN-HRMP listener line, 713-780-3776. Which Houston Texan unit, position unit, uh, overperformed? Which Houston Texan unit underperformed? And where were they relative to the NFL? It's the Killer Bees on ESPN 97.5 and ESPN 92.5. It's time to sit back, relax, and enjoy this next bit of brilliance with Joel and Jeremy. Live from the Veritex Community Bank Studios, it's the Killer Bees. He's Blank. I'm Branham. Joe George somewhere back there. This is a lot of days in a row for Joe to work. So if Joe mills it in a little bit today, he's got good reason. 
Nine six zero nine. Close friend of Jimmy here. Played with him at Tomball. He absolutely will never play for the Rockets. L O L. That means laughing out loud. He hates Houston. I have no idea. I don't know, Jimmy. I couldn't tell you if he's. Uh, I have no idea if he likes Houston or not. Couldn't tell you. He 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 works out here in the off season. If you hate it here, wouldn't you avoid hanging out here? Yeah. For multiple weeks. Yeah. Yeah, I, I just think that might be something to consider. Yeah, I really don't care that much. Like, I think the Jimmy Butler being a Houston Rocket thing was is is over. Like, he doesn't fit anymore. He used to like back when you still had Harden and were trying to acquire another star. It made sense, at least from like a team building perspective. Maybe it didn't make sense for Harden. Maybe it didn't make sense for Jimmy Butler. But Jimmy Butler, he's not a good fit for the Rockets anymore. Mm-hmm. He's past his prime. Still good, but it just doesn't really fit what the Rockets got going. Uh, 713-780-3776. What unit for the Houston Texans overperformed this year? Which unit underperformed? Let's start there. We'll okay. get to what uh, the heart of this in a second. Okay, I'm going to be honest in the fact I that... I would hope so. Well, I'm going to be honest in the fact that I, I think that a lot of it is because of what they overcame. But I think that... I mean, the easy answer is CJ in the quarterback position. But I think mm. that... Because they completely, you know, they exceeded expectations. He did personally. Uh, Case did personally. You know, they they those two guys alone put you in that position. I was going to say, from the standpoint of offensive line, I thought that they, I thought that they really overachieved because of the fact that you had to, you had to accomplish so much with so many injuries. You had to overcome so many injuries. You had to realize that getting ready to start the season. Nick Casario did not have adequate backups and was not adequately prepared enough for the injuries that they were they were they were sustaining. So the fact that they sustained the injuries, they recovered from the injuries, they shuffled guys around and each and every time they found a way with the exception of the first two weeks of the regular season when they gave up 11 sacks, they found a way to persevere and in a lot of ways succeed. So I'm going to say the offensive line I like both of those answers. I'm going to steal both of them. Uh, Stroud was like Stroud had such a good rookie year, and he's going to be the offensive rookie of the year Mm -hmm. that we kind of forget. Like you know what I mean? Like we kind of forget that yes, they totally overperformed at the quarterback position, especially what you know you thought you would get at the start of the year. The offensive line, I agree with. I'll nitpick it for the sake of the conversation for just a moment. I think that the overall production of the offensive line at the start of the year you thought would be better, but whenever you account for the injuries, I think that they played better than like who was getting actual snaps and starts for that offensive line. So I'm good with that. Uh, the underperformance, I mean, you got to go running running back. Like You expected Damian Pierce to have this big year, did not, and then Singletary got started a little bit too late. So I would go running back as an underperforming unit, and then safeties. Uh, Jalen Petrie sure. uh, didn't, and maybe this is more like learning D'Amico's scheme than physical traits. In fact, I think it is, because I do think Jalen Petrie has good physical traits. I think he needs to adjust to be in D'Amico's scheme, and I'm hoping for a breakout year too. But then Jimmy Ward on the other side of it. Jimmy Ward, you know, a little long in the two, who could never stay on the field, so that was something that uh, I, that bothered me. And also, I kind of predicted it. Like I was like, it's not Ed Reed, but maybe it's kind of like Ed Reed light. And then it was kind of like Ed Reed light. So I'll go safeties and running back as underperformances for the Texans. Yeah, underperformances. Uh, I mean, I think another overperforming group had to be receiver. We talked about it at the start of the year how we didn't know. You knew more about Tank than anybody else, but we didn't know, you know, how quickly Tank was going to get to. And in the preseason, it was tough to say Tank was going to get any kind of meaningful minute, I mean, uh, time on the field and, and snaps. When you looked at it, we didn't know what Nico Collins could be if he ever was going to have that breakout. 
We weren't sure Robert Woods was going to do anything. The guys they were bringing in, we were comparing them to to all the other receivers, receiver rooms in the league and saying they might be bottom two along with Carolina. And then lo and behold, everybody kind of, uh, again, exceeded expectations. Tank took the league by storm. Robert Woods was better than we thought. Nico took the league and everybody by storm because all of a sudden he became what they thought he could be when they drafted him. And I think the receivers really continued to step up and step up and step up. Now, injuries at the end derailed a lot, but I think that you can't overlook the fact that they were way better than we thought. My only pushback to this conversation, I guess, is the context of the word overperform. Because when I hear the word overperform and you say the wide receiver room, my what I hear is that next year you don't think they're going to be as good. That no oh, matter, not at all. Because that, 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 that to me is what overperforming is. It's like they exceeded past what they're going to be. Like, I, I agree. Or is it and, expectation, though? Like, yeah. is it expectation at the start of the year? Yeah, at the start of the year, yeah. if we said we thought they and Carolina were the two best, two worst wide receivers for sure rooms in the league, and they do what they did, yeah. that's overperforming. No, it is overperforming, but I don't think it's overperforming for the long term, I guess. Like, like I, I would expect Nico and Tank to be these guys going forward. Like, they're not going to take a big step back. Like, underperformed definitely is the running back room. I think that's number one. That and safety. Safety is is a a massive disappointment because, like you said, Jeremy, I mean, look, I had some hope that Jimmy Ward was going to be a guy that could kind of big brother Petrie and kind of teach him what he didn't already know while being a guy that coming from D'Amico's system in San Francisco could really kind of set this defense in the right direction from from jump, and he just never was on the field. He couldn't stay healthy, and I think that one way or another, they're probably going to part ways with him. Where would you guess that Nico Collins is right now, let's just go from like a fantasy football perspective, where do you think he's being drafted relative to other NFL receivers? Uh, because I've started, I've started to, to draft. I've done about three or four drafts for 2024. So Puka's going top 10. I, I would bet Nico is probably like a third-round pick. Um, you talking about just out of receivers? Like yeah. where do they rank I was one going, out of whatever? I was going receivers rankings, not yeah. ADP. Oh, okay. I would say top 15. Okay, Joe. Top, top, just outside the top twenty. Ninth. Nico <laughs> Collins' ADP right now from wide receivers is ninth. Now this is a PPR, full PPR, so yeah. like receivers are going to be yeah. going to be mm-hmm. uh, so valued a little bit more. Tank. Nico's ADP is fifteen point three. So like not top fifteen receiver, top fifteen pick in fantasy football wow. right now. Where would you guess Tank is? Right behind him. These both blew me away. These both blew me away, honestly. Uh, honestly, Tank's the darling of the NFL, not named first, Puka. Like, so I, if, if Nico is, is number nine, so I'm, I'm going to be top 10, right? I'd say Tank's like top 15. He's 21st. Oh, okay. Oh, he's lower than I Now thought. he's coming off injury, so like oh, that makes true. people a little bit more hesitant. Uh, and he's small. Nico is right before DJ Moore, Debo Samuel, and Brandon Ayuk. So those are the three guys he's in front of. He's in front of Stephon Diggs, who's 15th. He's in front of Devontae Adams, who's 16th. He's in front of Chris Olave, who's 17th. Tank's in front of Devontae Smith at 22. He's ahead of Jalen Waddle at 24, and he's ahead of T. Higgins at 25. But the reason that T. Higgins is so low is because they don't know what team he's going to play for. Honestly, I don't have a problem with any of that. Isn't it crazy? Like, I, I don't have a single problem with any of those It feels players. like being ahead of Devontae Smith is a little... That's where I kind of like... like Jalen eh. doesn't really get him the ball that much. Like, now, eh. A.J. Brown were to get traded, I think his... Like, I, I'm not a big Devontae Smith fantasy football guy for, like, this... Con- like, as a wide receiver in the NFL, I like him, but I'm, I'm not a big fantasy impact. 
I mean, he's over a thousand yards this year. I know he's he's been over a thousand yards the last two years. He went for eighty one. Oh, just under 1,100, seven touchdowns. Two years ago, he's at 95, 1,200. I know, seven I know, but like, I just, why don't you like that? You don't like production? I, I think I like other guys' production more. Like, I mean, I Tank doesn't have that. He's shown he can, though. Yeah, I mean, he showed he can, but he yeah, hadn't. but he also. I mean, the, I think the injury weighs heavy on a lot of people in terms of being able to take that gamble. And but there, but Tank's ahead of Devontae. Yeah, that's, I that's, mean, it's, it's crazy, crazy to and they're me. both like little chicken legs. They are both little chicken legs. Devontae <laughs> thinks like a little bit. I mean, Devontae's a little taller, but they're both very, very skinny men. I mean, Devontae is taller, but he looks like he hasn't eaten in his life. Yeah, I think that's the reason that he looks a little taller. Is because he's look he's super skinny. <laughs> yeah, he's got, he's got like little ostrich legs. Uh, it's Cynthia Freeland, who we've had on this show before, yep, she's yep. a fan of the Killer Beast. She posted an article: NFL's most overperforming, underperforming units of the 2023 season. So this is this is everybody in the league. She has the Lions' offense as an overperforming unit. She has Tampa Bay's passing offense as an overperforming unit. For the Texans, she has. The entire team. That's awesome. She has the entire team as a, an overperforming unit for the for the Houston Texans. It's fantastic because you always wonder how much the national people that comment actually take the time to watch the majority of a team and see all the different things that we see by watching the games multiple times and watching every week and watching every play. And it's nice to see that somebody appreciates all levels because the special teams was, was better than it's been. You know, the, the defense, obviously, under D'Amico, and we can nitpick, you know, shortcomings here and there, bad games here and there. But overall, again, I, I'm the first to admit, I was way wrong when I said four or five wins, depending on which day you asked me, to say that this team had to overperform across the board to do what they did this year, win the division, win a playoff game, have their quarterback have a breakout. So I'm glad somebody took the, the time to notice all of it. Yeah, eight four three seven. I'd argue that you probably only got what you got out of Singletary because he didn't run so much the first part of the season. I mean, kept them fresh. I think there's something to that. Uh, you can limit some of these snaps and touches and stuff like that too. Um, Singletary would have obviously had more volume. He would have had yeah. more rushing yards on the season. Would have yards per carry went down. I think it's a fair point to make. Uh, Key from LA. Who's to say the team under or overachieved? Maybe this is who they are, and that's a good team. That's why I think you have to go to expectation. Whatever you're talking about, overachieving, underachieving. Where where do you get that baseline that you're judging it off of? Because of what you expected at the start of the season. Right, and also, how do you draw the line? and say that you know they are they are this now but now it's not going to be the same roster and you're going to upgrade this roster and you're going to make changes and you're going to have money and you're going to have decisions and you're going to do these things we've already said look with the schedule they're playing next year it's going to be more challenging for them but that doesn't mean that the overall big picture isn't is that they're going to underachieve from this point or over or this is who they're going to be i fully expect that going forward this is just you know, st- scratching the surface of where this team can go, assuming that you have you know the, the right decisions made and people right, and you believe that you do six seven six one. That's also reflective of people's faith in CJ. You have a good quarterback. The receivers are going to get touches. That's true. I mean, they're they're, they're thinking that CJ is going to have a good year. They're thinking the Texans' offense is going to have a good year. So you're going to lift up their receivers because good receivers put up a lot of fantasy production. You're hoping that the production of Nico Collins and Tank Dell and CJ Stroud, you know, makes you say I poppy at the end of the season. 713-780-ESPN-HRMP. Listener line 713-780-3776. So the commies have officially concluded the coaching carousel in the NFL. They hired Dan Quinn. I'm not falling for this propaganda that they didn't really like Ben Johnson. Also, 
Now that the coaching carousel has closed, who won? Who lost the coaching carousel? 713-780-3776. Killer Bees, ESPN 97.5, ESPN 92.5. Time to get back to sports school with the Killer Bees, Joel Blank and Jeremy Branham, live from the Veritex Community Bank Studios on ESPN 97.5. He's Blank, I'm Branham, Killer Bees, ESPN 97.5, ESPN 92.5. Honey Glaze Branham, uh, hey guys, what is the best way to get a lazy coworker, unpleasant to be around, fired? Always on the phone, doesn't care if anyone walks in and sees, completely oblivious and obnoxious. Sorry, just venting. Hmm. Um, never have had the power to fire anybody. I don't think. I don't think that I have. Certainly, have never fired anybody. You have. Have you ever fired anybody? Yeah. What'd they do to you? That's not something. I mean, there's. You don't want there, to share on the radio. There's been a couple different it's things where they let's just say that they were running amok, doing their own thing, and it was got pretty documented. So, what's the best way for Honey Glaze Branham to get this uh, this person at his office fired? I would suggest just uh, transitioning to Twitch, twitch.tv slash ESPN975. <laughs> they don't seem to have many jobs over there. Uh, Joe's in management now. He, he is. He should, yeah, he should be big on this. Um, yeah, Joe, what do you do? Give Honey Glaze Branham a little bit of advice here. Well, the, the problem is that he can't fire him. So do you want to be Mike Fires, buddy? Uh, yeah, you get, yeah, that's like, right. Do you want, like, that's the question is, like, do you want to be a rat? That's a firestorm that like, not many people want to sign up for. Like that's like if you want to fire him, you just got you got to rat on him. See what I did there. Somebody's telling me like, it was fine. I think that I Honey you. Glaze Branham's probably the the one that's. Distra- I mean, the, he he's literally texting. <laughs> that's a good so, point too. He's talking about himself. Like, how do you he's set talking it up about so himself. That the boss sees whatever is bothering you. Yeah, you about have to make your boss employee. You have to make your boss aware, right? Without anonymously. going full Mike Fires. Yeah, you got to be anonymous. Find a way to set it up so the boss sees what you see. I think this is terrible karma, honestly. I would never try to get somebody fired. I do feel like that's what it's, you're asking it's for. It's super bad karma. I agree. Because like, if word gets out, target. Yeah, you're fired. <laughs> like, like, like you're going to have a target on your back. And yeah. it'll be tough to get another gig because you ain't getting a recommendation from that job. You have to. Uh, you just have to let it take its course. You have to just wait. You have to wait it out. It might stink in the interim, but if it'll, it'll work its way out. And you're going to have to let it work its way out. You can't be a rat. You know what they say about snitches? Mm-hmm. They end up in ditches. Or they get stitches. <laughs> what, I said snitches? S- snitches get stitches. The snitches yeah. get stitches. Snitches are... And then snitches and up and there's a lot of there's a there lot are, of different ones. There are a lot of them. A lot of different ones. Uh seven one three seven eight zero three seven seven six. So the commies have hired Dan Quinn. Uh this this Adam Schefter carrying the Washington Commander's water, by the way. I'm not falling for this. You're you're telling me, Adam Schefter, you're telling me that the commanders waited until all of the conference championship games were over. They wanted to talk to Ben Johnson. Ben Johnson pulls his name out of consideration, and they settle for Dan Quinn, and you're trying to fool us that the commanders didn't want Ben Johnson? I'm not falling for that. No, I'm not either. I mean, look, you can hear all the rumors in the world about he outpriced himself or did whatever he did, but everybody had penciled in through the entire process that it was going to be Ben Johnson to Washington, but the fact that you hired Dan Quinn the way you did, when you did, how you did, when everybody else had a job, it's not a great look. 
No, this is uh, you don't you don't wait around for Dan Quinn, and like that's not to say that Dan Quinn's going to do a poor job or whatever. Although he might, he might. Uh, but you didn't wait around to after the conference championship games for that. So I'm not falling for your tricks, Adam Schefter. You're carrying water, but they're all full now. Uh, all the jobs are full. Every single team that had an opening has been occupied uh, by, in most cases, a new coach. Not every case, a new coach. Atlanta with Raheem Morris, Carolina, Dave Canellis, Las Vegas, Antonio Pierce, Chargers, Jim Harbaugh just doing his press conference, really punchable face. New England, Gerard Mayo, Seattle, Mike McDonald, Tennessee, Brian Callahan, that was a surprise, and then Washington with Dan Quinn. No Mike Vrabel, no Bill Belichick uh, getting jobs this year. The thing that bothers me the most, Jeremy, is the fact that Especially if anybody saw or had lingering effects from the the Dallas debacle against Green Bay in the playoffs on Quinn, why? Unless Vrabel didn't want it, and again to your point, he could have interviewed at any time. Yeah, they never even, even talked to him. But Vrabel, that's what I'm saying. They didn't it's even crazy. talk to him, and Vrabel would have been a more, especially when you're trying to make a, at least a splash or make people take notice with the new ownership group and get a guy that's kind of. You know, younger, hipper NFL football, too. Uh, and, and again, both defensive guys. How do you not at least talk to Vrabel? Yeah, uh, must not have liked him. Although Vrabel last two and a half years has stunk. Belichick has mostly stunk since Tom Brady, except for Mac Jones' rookie year where he went, led them to the playoffs with Mac Jones as a rookie. Who is your biggest winner of uh, all of the teams that have uh, hired a head coach? Who's your biggest winner? Who's your biggest loser? Uh, I'd say the biggest winner is the Chargers simply because of the fact that they got a guy that their reputation is they weren't going to be willing to pay that they got a guy that, you know, comes into that LA market as pretty much the biggest hype train that they could possibly ask for. And they got a guy that wanted to work with their quarterback that got as far away from their previous coach Staley as they could. And seems like a guy that has won in the NFL that is reputable, that wants to work with your quarterback that seems like you know he's going to be an offensive-minded coach that's going to be exactly the opposite of who you had and the decisions that he made. And I think that because it's in L.A. too, I think that was the biggest splash. Yeah, uh, it's funny because um, I can't remember where he was doing radio. Mark Schlereth, it was either this morning or yesterday. I want to say it was in Seattle. Um, he said that Ben Johnson told him that the only job that he wanted was the Charger job, which kind of checks, it kind of yeah. tracks, like it tracks, which also kind of like, Maybe if this is true, it gives us closure to the conversation we were having yesterday that Ben Johnson looks to be like he's waiting for a, for a job that already has an established quarterback. Instead of drafting his own quarterback and that being completely random, he wants a quarterback that he already knows can play in the NFL. So that's, I think, the biggest clue when it comes to Ben Johnson going forward. Like all these openings that are going to come up next year, Ben Johnson's looking for an established quarterback that is always that is already very good. Did you say a loser in the in the carousel? I did not. Okay, I'll give my winner first. I'm okay. gonna go. I'm actually gonna go with Antonio Pierce. I feel like that was the best hire. We also got a sample, and I don't. I just don't like Jim Harbaugh. Like Jim Harbaugh, probably resume wise, is the best hire uh, in this I carousel. Like I just have an anti Jim Harbaugh bias, and I'm not scared to admit it. So that's why he's not at the top of my list. I'm going Antonio Pierce, man. Like he changed the culture of that of that locker room like that. All the players wanted to play for him like that, and it's one thing for the players to want to play for you because that that's a cute story, but there's a reason they don't allow first graders to pick their teacher but he actually won some games there like mm-hmm. the, the players loved him he won some games there he kind of got it turned around from a culture and a win-loss record I like the Antonio Pierce hire the most Joe George do you have a favorite hire of this coaching carousel 
Uh, I do. Antonio Pierce is my favorite hire. Wow, also. I did not expect you to say that. I thought um, I'd be in the minority. But my, my biggest winner of the coaching cycle is whoever uh, fires their coaches next year. Should be Philly. Because Vrabel, Belichick, be Ben Dallas. Johnson, Bobby Slowick. Like, I, I think that there's going to be a lot of buyer's remorse from this group of coaches. That's who my loser is. My loser isn't any of these teams that hired a coach. It's actually Philadelphia. I think the Philadelphia Eagles are the biggest losers in this coaching carousel. I was reading an article today where, apparently, is it Howie Roseman that's the general yeah. manager mm-hmm. there? Howie Roseman and Bill Belichick have a great relationship, and they were like seriously entertaining the idea of moving on from Nick Sirianni and going to Bill Belichick. How do you have option A, the biggest jabroni in all professional football, Nick Sirianni on the left, who has never won game by calling plays. He's always lived off the life of his coordinators. And on the right, you have the greatest coaching resume of all time. And you come to the conclusion to pick the jabroni. They're the losers of the coaching carousel. They kept Sirianni over over Bill Belichick. Well, and I don't, I know... I kind of feel the same way about Sirianni, but I, and I know where you're coming from, but at the same time, I think Belichick's whole shtick has worn out a welcome with a lot of teams because of what he did screwing around with the offense and putting Patricia in charge of it for a year and basically being a dictator that wants to dominate and control so much that I think that their first objective is to write the offense. And I don't think Belichick's the kind of guy that's going to be focused, experienced, and or willing to hire like a new fangled offensive minded offensive coordinator. So I think that might have probably scared them away more than anything, no matter if you have a relationship with them or not. Yeah. So who's your biggest loser? Biggest loser for me uh, is, I, I guess I'm kind of torn between Washington and Carolina, but, uh, and maybe Tennessee. I, I think that Tennessee is still going to get an offensive minded, new fang, new era of NFL offense, offensive guy. I think Quinn's recycled, and, and, I, and I think for all the reasons we highlighted, why did it take you so long, and, and this is the splash you're supposed to make for new ownership, it's a bad look. Carolina's just a bad gig, and I, don't th- and I think there were better offensive coordinators than Canales. So I, I would say, to me, I'm tied between those two. If I had to pick a team that actually hired a coach and not a team that kept a coach, I would go to New England. Uh, Gerard Mayo feels like Lovey Smith to me. Mm-hmm. You've, had pre- you've had the previous couple of years that were lousy. Same thing with the Houston Texans. And you promote from within a team that has been lousy the last couple of years, similar to the Texans. So if I had to pick a real one, a team that actually hired a new coach, I would go Gerard Mayo. I'm going to go the with Patriots. the Carolina Panthers. I just I don't think that's the hire that they needed to make. It's just this guy like Baker had a great year mm-hmm. in Tampa Bay, but like like how do you know that this guy is going to turn around Bryce Young? I think going after a coach that's worked with C.J. Stroud or Trevor Lawrence or any of these young quarterbacks, someone that worked with the Chargers, like could have been a, a way better hire for them. I, I just their offense wasn't even that good. This last year in Tampa. Like, yeah, Mike Evans hit a 1,000 yards. Rasheed White was really good again, but he's just a stud. It wasn't good because of the system they're running. I, I just think Carolina took a major misstep once again. You know, Joe, on the Carolina thing, too, the one thing that really kind of made me wonder was if maybe they don't see Bryce Young the same way that they did when they drafted him. Because, essentially, you're looking at Canales as a guy that kind of changed the offense. I don't want to say dumbed it down but like completely became kind of more run dominant, but also tried to do things a certain way so that Baker's faults weren't exploited. And he's a smaller guy, Baker is, and now you got a smaller guy. that you, Are you expecting him to run that same kind of vanilla-y, boring offense that he ran in Tampa? 
and and just get enough out of Bryce Young? I mean, Baker you had to... a pretty big year. He, he went four thousand yards and almost had thirty touchdowns. Like that, that's a pretty pretty big year. Um, I, I heard some. I didn't hear it. I read some of the quotes he had from the press conference. He said he wants to get the ball out of Young's hands in three seconds or less. So I guess that three seconds or less offense is what sold hmm. Carolina. Yeah, you would think that there's better offensive minds than Canales, but I, you know, they, this decision was made based on Bryce Young, and they felt like he's the best guy for Bryce Young. We'll see. We'll see. Seven one three seven eight zero three seven seven six. The return of Will of Bits. What are you getting today? It's the Killer Bees on ESPN ninety seven five and ESPN ninety two five.